We're going to be, um, today, since this is the last service, I just, um, this is actually something that I, I shared at our main service a few months ago, um, something that God really revealed to me um, one of the times that I was preparing for communion, and um, it really connected with something else this week, and so this message was born, and I think it's very timely, um, because what I want to talk about today, um, we're not going to see each, this is, this is weird, Mike. I'm like preaching at myself, it's weird. That way I'll probably finish quicker because I'm going to get annoyed at myself quicker. Um, I see what you did. Um, but this message is going to be, I think, very relevant um, for these next, I'd say the next month or so as, we've been, or as we're going to be taking a break. Um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because we're not going to see each other uh, for about a month. Uh, we're going to be starting off in mid-January. Uh, a couple weeks into January, you can check on Instagram. We're going to keep in, be keeping everybody updated. Um, and so you're going to have a lot of time. And so this is something that you can work on. Second, and probably even more importantly, um, we're heading into this holiday season. And it's a Christmas season. I mean, come on. You can't help but love Christmas. Yeah, the fire's still going behind me, right, with the stockings, the lights. Christmas is always one of those things that we look forward to, and then by the time you realize it's Christmas, it's usually over, right? Uh, another thing that we always try to do, as you get older, you become more and more desperate to try to capture the magic of Christmas past, right? And even though the, like, the magic that you're trying to capture in the past, you maybe they never even experienced it, but it becomes this romantic idea, and we look for something in the holiday to receive, not only gifts from other people, but even the holiday itself. We, we treat the holiday and we're kind of like, man, we want to just relive when we were, you know, young and innocent and believed in Santa and um, received good gifts that we were excited about. Like, have you noticed as older, the, the older you get, the harder it is to like give gifts to people because you're like, I don't know what to get them. They can, they can buy that or they can have that or I don't know, who does like the little secret Santa thing with their family? Anybody do that with their family? Like, you, you know, there's a few people in the family that are nearly impossible to get a gift for. There's some that are easier, but in general, it's difficult to find something to give people because you can buy it yourself. You can get it yourself. And so we try to kind of capture something that is gone and, and we try to find something that we don't even know if it's real. But one way or another, I can summarize it in the fact that we try to receive something from the holiday. We try to get something that will make us feel better, happier, whatever it may be. And today what I want to talk about is um, kind of the real true source of what we're looking for. You know, many times we look for something like this and because we can't place a finger on it, we don't go too deep into thinking about what it is that we're actually looking for. And the Christmas season is the perfect time to talk about this. Talking about what it is that we're actually looking for and what it is that can actually satisfy us and make us happy. Um, today, who had communion um, in their church? So who had communion? Everybody does communion? Um, you can raise your hands. Come on, man. It's communion. It's the best part of my, at least for me, it's my favorite service. I want to read something that we usually read only on communion. Um, Luke twenty two nineteen through 20 says this. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
I grew up in the church many times um, when I hear, I don't know if you've heard this probably from stage, I'm sure I've said it before, but I've, when I think about the bread and the symbology of the bread and communion, we say, you know, this is his body broken for us. Anybody heard that? The body broken for us. You know, the scripture never actually says his body broken for us. It says that he said, this is my body, and then he broke the bread and gave it to them. Um, we just put those two together. Though, when you put them together, you are not, you know, theologically incorrect. You are not um, wrong in saying that his body was broken for us. But when you look at the actual passage, it doesn't say this. It says, this is my body given for you. And then he broke the bread and shared it so that everyone can participate in the Last Supper. In fact, when you look at the next part, it says in the same way, the very next verse, it says in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The actual cup and the blood and the wine and the pouring out is more of a focus on the death of Christ and on the blood that was being spilled. Even the language that he uses, this bread is given to you. This cup is poured out. Pouring a liquid out of a cup is not the natural way of things. Usually you pour it out into your mouth. But when he says it here, it's almost like it's being spilt for you. And he's talking about his blood. That at 33 years of age, his blood unnaturally, at a very young age, unjustly, and in a very, I would say, incorrect way, considering his age and considering his innocence will be spilt out for you he will die for you his life his blood will be spilt for you the bread though is given to you it's given to you it's not broken for you it is given to you what is Jesus talking about because many times when we come to communion we think the bread and the blood are just almost like you know you have the bread, you break it, he's died for us, he was broken for us. You know, we drink the wine, his blood was spilled for us. It's almost like we repeat the same thing twice. But in reality, though communion is rich, and you can take it in many different ways, when you actually study these passages and you read about it, I, I looked through all the four Gospels and you read about it, there is a difference because it's not just on communion. This is not the first time that Jesus has said that this is my, that, he's, that he talked about the very same thing of his body being bread and his blood being, you know, the wine, the wine being his, his blood. He said this before. In John 6, 54, he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. So this wasn't something that the disciples heard for the first time. This is something that they remember Jesus mentioning before. Now what's the context for that? Why did Jesus say that and what was the situation that he said it in? Um, to give you some context, this is something that happened at the height of Jesus' power. This is when Jesus was walking around doing miracles and he was at the height of his popularity. At the height of his popularity, he had people doing crazy things just to follow him. He would try to get away from them by crossing lakes. They'd just follow along on the shore. He'd walk on water to get back. They'd find a way. I'll just even give you an example. In John chapter 6, verse 22, it says, The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite sh um, shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there. All right, so people are on the lookout for Jesus. 
So what happened was that Jesus did miracles, healed people, and he crossed the lake. They followed him around 10 miles. They listened to him speak. They saw a miracle upon miracle. He fed them with 5,000, um, you know, the whole story of the, feeding the 5,000 people with the bread and fish. I mean, a miracle of miracles. Santa Claus is here. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I get distracted easily. Um, God bless you guys. Um, so they followed him. He fed them on that side. So they were, he was already popular. They followed him. Then he performed a miracle and fed them. And then he sent his disciples away without him because he needed some time. And as they were crossing, he walked on water, joined up with his disciples, and came back to the shore on the other side of the lake. In the meantime, it says, the next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias Island near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to in search of Jesus. People were nuts. This is literally like the paparazzis today following around celebrities. They were just trying. I mean, they were on the lookout. They were spying. They were counting boats and ships and, and deducing where it could be. And they followed him. This is at the height of his glory and fame in the world at that time. But this is the point. The, shortly after all of this, these people come to Jesus. And Jesus at the height of that power, at the height of all the excitement and hype, he says things that literally cause people to desert him within one day. At the height of his power, instead of, you know, garnering that support or doing something with that support, he literally disbands people by saying something as ridiculous as whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. Why did Jesus do that? Like what was the point of Jesus taking all of the popularity he gained and literally just flushing it away, throwing it away in one day by saying something so provocative and I'll be honest, from a logical standpoint, disturbing and creepy. Like let's be real. If somebody came up to you and said that, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Like... You would walk away shaking your head and you'd probably call the cops. That's how people looked at Christ and all those people that adored him deserted him. Why did Jesus do that? In John 6, 26, Jesus answers himself. It says, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me. Not because you saw the signs are performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. There's something that bothered Jesus about his popularity and all the people that were raving to follow him. They loved him and they wanted him so much that they literally wanted to crown him king. That's how popular he was in that moment. But what he saw in their heart was disturbed, disturbing to him. He didn't see what he wanted to see. He says that you didn't, you're not looking for me, not because of the signs I performed. You're not looking for me because of the things that I'm doing. You're not seeing the big picture. You're following me for one simple reason, because I fed you miraculously. You ate. 
You had food. And you're following me because of all of these tricks that you see me do. You're following me because you, your belly is full in the middle of the desert. You're not seeing the big picture. And it disturbs God to such a point that he gets to the point and says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will be the first to say that I understand the people that left him. Because there's no context for that understanding. It's difficult to, be, to swallow that. And that's what even people say. They say that is a hard teaching. That's literally the phrase that people responded to. They said that is a hard teaching. We don't understand you. We don't get what you're trying to get at. But Jesus had a greater mission than to heal people and to feed people. He had something much greater because he says this right after that. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that it endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. When Jesus says all of this stuff, he takes the concept of food and he breaks it and he makes it into two opposing things. He says there is bread that can satisfy you for a few hours and there is bread and there is food that is eternal. It is something that doesn't just satisfy you for the few hours after you eat it. It's something that has eternal um, gifts, rewards. It has eternal, not consequences, but effects on you. And you people are more interested in the day-to-day -day stuff that will disappear. The kind of stuff that you can buy at the store. The kind of stuff that you can get at different places, different sources. And you're not looking for the main thing. And when you hear this story, so you see Jesus at the height of his power. You see Jesus being followed by all of these people. And then he gets disturbed by all of that. And he takes people and he literally cuts away all the celebration and gets to the point that I'm not about this. All the healings you saw, that's not what I'm all about. That's not my main mission. I have something greater. It's actually a very similar situation of when he uses those same words the next time, which is what we read in the beginning of this message. When Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to him, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In that moment, what led to that moment was very similar as the other example. All of the disciples, along with Jesus, walk into Jerusalem. And how are they met? How are they met? Y'all read your Bibles? <laughs> Palm trees. They're met as celebrities. They walk into the city. you got to keep a couple things in mind. Number one, it is literally the Passover, one of the greatest holidays that Israel has. It's a time of celebration, festivities, and it goes for a week. They celebrate for a week. And during this time, what are they celebrating? They're celebrating the exodus of, of Moses leading the people out of, out of captivity. And in this moment, Jesus walks into Jerusalem during this holiday. And it's, it just lines up so perfectly. Another Messiah figure, another king who's going to rescue them from another Egypt. This time under the name of Rome. And he walks in and they greet him. The whole city greets him to the point the Pharisees say that everyone has gone over to him. Like the whole city is celebrating him. And so they, he's, he's celebrated and lifted up. And can you imagine the disciples walking with Jesus? Just like, yeah. <laughs> What's up, guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're literally basking in the glow of Jesus' victorious march into Jerusalem. 
and they're enjoying this and they're like my goodness you, you understand that when you read scripture these people the disciples literally believed that Jesus to the day he died that Jesus was going to throw off the oppression of Rome and set Israel free that as a Messiah that was his mission and so they were living it up and you know a couple days later they were gathered for this wonderful feast and it was a celebration once again the last supper has that name last we added that you know and we said that it's the last supper because we know what happens next they didn't it was part of the festivities it was not the last supper to them it was a celebratory supper it was something that was a a, a holiday and they gathered together to celebrate and in the midst of once again all of this popularity all of this good feeling joy cheerfulness thinking about the future I mean you even see that at that same table the disciples start you know going a little bit further like hey which one of us is greater you know who's going to be greater in the kingdom of God right so you see what's on their mind they're enjoying the idea that they're next to this man who's going to set Israel free and when he does which one of us will rule which one of us will be near which one of us will have power you know and they're thinking about these things and in the midst of that Jesus once again gets down to the point and in many ways destroys their festive mood. In many ways takes all of their joy. Mind you, that joy is focused on a good thing. It's focused on the Passover. But he takes that joy and he kind of dashes it. And he gets to the point and he tells them these words. He starts talking about bread again. And he says, it's a bread that I was given to you. And he's talking about himself one more time. What is this message that Christ is getting across? For many of us here, we know what this message is because we have 2,000 years of Christianity to look back upon and to understand that there are heavenly things and there are earthly things. And because of that, a lot of times we take it for granted that in our everyday, day-to-day -day life, in our practical life, even as we approach these holidays, Christmas, we approach it, even though we know somewhere in the back of our mind, we still approach it the way the disciples approach it. We miss many times the main point of what Jesus wants. You know, things like Christmas and service, things like, you know, all the other stuff that churches, churches are doing, you know, Operation Shoebox or something like that, right? All of those things... They remind us a little bit. There are opportunities for us to get to the point of this holiday and to remember what it is that all of it is about. Why Jesus came. Not to give gifts and to try to celebrate and just have temporary joy. But there is something greater in the message of Christ. And so I want to challenge each person here. Though you know this stuff, check your heart. What is it that you are searching for practically? You know, the Bible says that you will know them by their fruits. That is so applicable to everything. You can talk about a person that you're dating. You'll know them by their fruits. <laughs> like, you will know a person by how they approach you, by how they spend time with you. Are they for real? Are they serious? Or are they messing around? Are they just there to have fun, just to use you for the next few months? Or are they actually serious? You can tell a lot of big picture, serious, important things by practical stuff that you see. And the Bible, when it talks about that, it's the same here. To check yourself, you can't just check what you believe. You have to check what you actually do. So stop and think about what is it that you look forward to? 
What is it that you look forward to in these holidays? What is it that you're actually searching for? What is it that you believe will bring you happiness? Because the message of Christ has everything to do with your joy. It has everything to do with your happiness and your satisfaction. The message of Christ isn't, hey, I'm sorry. You're going to have to die to everything. You can't enjoy anything. Let me give you a set of laws that you have to follow. You like that? Okay, well, you're going to have to throw that away. Hey, hey, you're having too much fun with this. Throw that away. Put that away. We make it sound like that so many times. But in reality, the core of Jesus' message is not about taking away your bread. It's about giving you a bread that goes much further than yours will. That will feed you and satisfy you much more than what you can come up with on your own. The message of Christ is the good news. It is a joyful gospel of what you receive, not what you give. What can we give to God? Sacrificing and giving away our bread, the stuff that we chase. What is that really? Does it really glorify God that we give it to Him? Sometimes we come to God and we feel like, God, I'm doing you a service by giving up my dreams, by giving up these, these goals and pursuits and giving up my own happiness that I can scrape up. And so I'm giving this to you. In reality, is God getting, does God get anything from that? We receive so much more than that within we give that there are no words to describe the disparity between the two. But literally, that's what Jesus is talking about. That's why it pains him. When people get high on joy that is tied to earthly things, that is tied to earthly kingdoms, that is tied to earthly stuff, Christ is disappointed that we fall for something so cheap. And that's what motivates Jesus in this very same thing. And that's why when think about even this moment, Jesus is focused on eternal things. And I know that in the last few months, I've been bringing this message in different ways, using different stories, different scriptures. But I want my heart, my biggest desire for the church of Jesus is that we would become passionate to the point that we would be called fools. The way the Bible describes the way the world looks at us. That we would become foolish for the sake of the cross. We would get, become foolish for the sake of the kingdom of God. And Jesus, that's all he did. He healed people, but that wasn't his main mission. There's so many people today, even within Christianity, they're chasing and they're saying, man, I want to, to, I want to know God more. They have a real desire for something that is good. But then they get into this phase where they're like well it's all about miracles and healings and 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 on the holy spirit revealing himself in that way and they start chasing and and literally the climax of their christianity is if they can experience miracles every day sick being healed the dead being raised and and seeing all these things is that a bad thing of course not that's something promised and something that we're challenged to seek after but if that becomes the object of your Christianity and the object of the epitome of your Christianity, you're falling for something false. The Holy Spirit didn't come just so He can heal people. The power of the Holy Spirit that we receive, do you know what His main mission is? It's not to perform miracles. I will read it to you from scriptures. John 15, 26 says, When the Advocate comes, and He's talking about the Holy Spirit because He's talking about it before and after. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, 
the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The Holy Spirit is continuing the mission of Jesus Christ, which is to allow us and remind us to see eternally, to see Jesus and to see Christ and his mission. What was Christ's mission? What did Jesus talk about all of his life? He talked about a kingdom that is eternal. So many people seek the blessings of God in this life. There's nothing wrong with that. There are blessings that come in this life. But they start chasing those things so much that they forget that there's something greater. Don't fall for the cheap stuff. There is something greater. That's why the apostles were willing to die prematurely. They were willing to suffer because there was something greater. That's why Christians, despite the fact that most of them died in early age, the first church, most Christians were persecuted, died unnatural deaths. Most of them became believers as slaves and died as literally slaves with no freedom, no property, no hope in sight in this life. Yet Christianity grew in the midst of all of those negative practical results in the, in the hands of the believers. There's so many churches today that they would look at the first church and the state of all the people and say, y'all just don't got enough faith. You just don't have enough faith. You understand that like if you had faith, you'd be, you'd be way better off than you are now. You'd be more wealthy. You'd be healthier. You'd have everything you need in this life. But they didn't. And you and I look back at them and we look at them in awe because they lived eternally. Even Jesus, he says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's once again saying there's something more than just this. Satan came to Jesus and he tempted Jesus. And how did he tempt him? He tempted Jesus to use his power in order to satisfy an earthly need. And he said, turn this stone into bread. There's nothing sinful about that. But he tried to get Jesus to use his power for his own sake, for something that he could enjoy here on earth. And Jesus said this, it is written. Follow the theme. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you understand all of these pictures, all of these different scenes in Jesus' life and in the life of the, uh, of the disciples? There's one theme. It's constantly talking about bread and it's constantly taking these two concepts that there's just simple bread here and there's something eternal there. John 14, 6 Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, what Jesus is talking about is that he has something that is eternal. And when you talk about that eternal thing, it's kind of like, well, how do you see that practically? Like, what does that look like practically? Bread, I can see practically. Bread, money, homes, boats, RVs, I can see that stuff practically. I can at least have an object that, and a goal that I can set myself to, to, to kind of be like, if I get this, this will bring me happiness. Like there's something practical in it. Jesus, you're talking about eternal things. Well, what do I do today? Do I have to wait for eternity in order to enjoy those things? How does this apply today? Jesus answers it. This is in the same exact area in the book of John where Jesus is talking about all this. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, what Jesus offers is a practical path to knowing God. The object 
our eternal object. When we leave this earth, we take nothing with us except what? Our relationship with God. We take with us our intimacy with God. We have the bread and the wine, and what do we call it? Communion with God. It is not just a religious connection to a deity. It is a personal connection to the person of God. It is getting to know who he is, knowing his words and receiving life from them, knowing the truth and allowing that truth to literally mold and shape your life. The practical application of it is this. The more you know Jesus, the more you read his words and you study them and you get to know who he is, the more that you understand God's heart. And the more that you understand God's heart, the more Jesus practically shows you the way. How to live your life. The way. That kind of stuff. Sacrificing. Serving other people. He shows you the way. And it's not a feeling of obligation where you're like, well, I have to give because that's what God loves. No. It's an intimacy with the heart of God. And so it pleases you to follow and to do what he says. What did Jesus say? They will know you are my disciples because you obey my commandments. You obey my words. You obey what is revealed to you as the way. It all comes together in that package. It all fits together perfectly. That God wants to change us. He wants to guide us practically. He wants to change our heart, change our life. And he calls that life. He calls that life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you invest yourself into the kingdom of God, you will never be disappointed. One more practical thing, and we're going to finish up. I'm talking about this with a few people. <laughs> talking about this with a few people this last week, and talking about it with one brother also. Many of us want to serve God, we want to put God's kingdom first. But many times inadvertently, we have our own approach to how we do that. We, without even realizing it, we actually give God conditions. We seek God and we want to please Him and we want to invest in His kingdom after we take care of ourselves. We choose to take care of ourselves and then what's left, Lord, go at it. Have all of it. I'm going to take care of my finances first. You can have whatever's left. We don't say that. But if we stop practically, I'll ask you even one simple question. If you're in school here today, why are you in school? If you started a business today, why are you in business? Do you know if that is God's will for your life? Or let's put it even in a different way. Do you know God's will for your life? And in that will, does this fit in? This might seem a little bit, I mean, everybody's just quiet. But stop and think about this for a second. If you're seeking the kingdom first, right? The Bible tells us to seek first his kingdom. The Bible tells us to, to seek after this bread. Then you go, God, what do you want me to do? Lord, 
is this from you. It doesn't mean you stop and you sit and you do nothing. But you do not do something just by inertia. You don't do it because other people are doing it. And you definitely don't do it because it's your security or the way that you will provide for yourself. If you are a child of the kingdom of God, you have to understand that you have a place in that kingdom. And your education, your job, your business they may very well have a place, be your place in that kingdom. It, it may very well be the thing that God wants you to do. But is it, have you even th stopped and thought about that? Have you even stopped and, and at least... We're honest about it and, 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 and threw it out to God. and like, God, is this what you want from me? You know, nobody likes to hear this message because everybody automatically jumps to the extreme. So are you saying don't get, edu don't get educated, don't get a job, don't worry about family, don't worry about finances. You just go all out and become one of those weirdos, <laughs> you know? Why do we jump to extremes? That's not what I'm saying. But I will warn you. That the more the church embraces that literally, the more people will look at us and go, they're nuts. Jesus warned us about that. When Jesus is talking, almost everything I read today was from John chapter 6. In, John chapter, uh, in, in the book of John, right around the same place, Jesus continues this conversation and he talks about you and I will be seen by the world and literally talks about the fact you will be rejected. People will look at you and think you are fools. If we take God's word literally, it's not safe. Many people are afraid to pray that prayer because they're afraid of what God will tell them. <laughs> they're afraid of what God will tell them to let go of. And so they hold off. But you got to understand, God is drawing us to this. And just to throw out one lesson that I learned about it, I learned in 2008, 2009, when the economy crashed, I learned that even the best security that you can come up with is never secure without God. I learned that people who built their lives, focused on all the things that you were sure would work, there are things outside of our control that can destroy you and wipe away your best, best work. You are never secure without God. With God, even if everything crumbles, you're secure. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about. Don't settle for smaller things. Don't settle for things like that. And that's why John, in John chapter 6, Jesus turned to his disciples after he said those words about drinking his blood and eating his flesh. He said, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It wasn't convenient anymore. It wasn't popular anymore. It wasn't just healing anymore. Jesus made it weird and he made it awkward and he gave them, as they said, a hard teaching. And so many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus said to his 12, you do not want to leave too, do you? A lot of times we focus and we stop there. But I, want, I actually want to show you what Simon Peter said because it's amazing what he says. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They didn't understand to the end and they still made mistakes all the way up until Jesus' death. But something was slowly a little bit getting through because the words of Peter are just amazing. Amazing. 
Jesus says, you, you ready to leave too? And he says, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. I want to ask us to stand up. And I want us to pray and take some time to pray, not to finish it, not to pray just to finish the service. I want to pray and I want to give every person here an opportunity to seek their heart and, and allow Jesus to speak to you. I sometimes get into this mode where I just, I just, I, I'm looking back and I'm looking at all the things that God has given me to share with a church. And I look and I'm like, God, there's so much like correction, rebuking, causing people to look at their life. And sometimes I look back, it's not my work. I literally look back and I go, God, what are you saying? And sometimes I'm like, God, like, can you give me something like, like glorious and joyful and just amazing and just uplifting and just, but then I stop and I think about it once again. What I'm asking for is a parlor trick to make me feel happy. What God is giving me is joy to make me content in all circumstances. And so I want to tell every person here as we pray, the Lord rebukes those he loves. The Lord corrects those that he loves. That's what he does. Why? Because he leads us to something far greater. And so this is the Lord's doing. And I am thankful for his word. I am thankful for his eternal word. And so when we pray, seek your heart, in your heart, what it is that you want from God. Lord, we come before you today, Jesus. We just come before you as we are, Lord. In this holiday season, God, it is so easy to get lost, Lord. There's so many times I try to find my own happiness. I try to relive a happiness from the past, Lord. But in this time when I'm thinking about all of these things, God, I understand, Lord, that there is something greater. God, I understand that you're inviting me to something bigger, God. Help me, Jesus, to redirect my search from small things, God, from things that will not last and usually disappoint after a time. And help me to focus that completely on you, God. Lord, I believe that your word is true and it is eternal, but it is hard, God. It is hard to accept it. It is hard to, to make practical, not just to agree with, but to allow it to be planted in my heart. It is hard because it's not simple. It, it's not the way that I would take. God, it asks me to give up in order to gain. It asks me to die in order to come alive. It asks me to lose in order to get something back, God. It's difficult to do all those things, Jesus. But I know that I can trust you. I know I can trust your words. I know I can trust your word, Lord. And what you offer, God, I've, I've tasted it. I've seen it in my life, God. I've experienced it in my life. And so I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, God, because you've lived up to all of your words. You've saved me when I had nothing to do with it. When I couldn't do it, God. You've caused me to desire righteousness when I lived in, in sin. When I lived for myself. You performed all of those miracles in my heart, God. So you've proven yourself. You've proven that you are near. You've proven that you care that you love and that you are near to draw me to something greater draw me to something eternal and so I worship you God I thank you for your love and your mercy Jesus God I pray Lord that you would help us as a church help us God Lord we get so sidetracked Lord we get so 
just caught up in all of these things, Lord, and we lose sight of your kingdom. And it's so easy to just miss that turn. It's so easy to just drift away. There's nothing violent about it. There's nothing that is stark or, or something that is sudden. It just happens over time, Lord, and we just lose faith and our love grows cold towards you, God. I pray in the name of Jesus. That we would be found passionate for you. That we would be found, Lord, those who, who, who decided to live for your kingdom. Who decided to take your word literally, God. Help us, God. Help us, Father. I pray, Jesus, continue speaking your word. Continue encouraging us and teaching us, God. Continue practically, Lord, guiding us in all of our lives. God, every person here, God, so that we could be a kingdom of people that make a difference in this world. That we could be a kingdom of people that literally leave their mark, that cause a reaction from the world. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, help us, God, to be brave and courageous and letting go. To be brave and courageous in obedience to you Jesus so that we can be your light we can be the salt of this earth we can be ambassadors for your kingdom so that all may see that you are real that you are alive and that you're moving today and so that people could be healed restored and find salvation and holiness and righteousness in you God through the gospel that they see in our lives God thank you so much for that invitation thank you for that promise and thank you for drawing us to that, God. Bless every person here, Lord, in this season. Bless every person's holiday, God. I pray in the name of Jesus. Bless them in their families, God. If somebody here has a family that maybe is dysfunctional, or maybe they, they're in part of a family that doesn't have, that has strained relationships and things like that, I pray, Father, that there would be something amazing that would happen during this season, God. Bring healing, bring restoration, bring joy, Father. Bring your message of peace that you promised to give us, God. I pray in the name of Jesus. Bless every person here. Bless every person's holiday and help us, Lord, to live for you and shine your light, God. Thank you for everything. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.